so to yeah just feel into some of the questions or ideas of the room and just kind of my life at the moment um, this morning I was sitting with my girlfriend on the balcony we have this nice balcony that kind of has like the forest and a friend of mine he just got married so I went to his bachelor party and it was really nice and it was like a non-traditional wedding it was like a retreat wedding so it was like there's like meditation and yoga and things like this. It was like really nice. And the bachelor party also was very non-traditional. Like went for a hike and, you know. Um, and as kind of a thank you, he sent me a box with different vials inside. And each vial had, it was filled with different kinds of crystals. So it's like, uh, you know, clear quartz, smoky quartz, rutilated quartz, citron, you know. And then it's like lapis lazuli. And so it's kind of, it goes through and it's all these different crystals. And I have it open on the balcony, and I do work with stones. I do healing. So I, you know, I've been sitting in the morning and just taking a vial and just holding it in my hand and trying to feel, you know, what is the energy of this stone? What does it feel like? And I have the little crystal Bible next to me, Judy Hall, I think, crystal Bible. So sometimes I'll look and see, like, what the, you know, what they say about this specific stone, but also to see, like, how I feel about it and kind of just make connection to these rocks. And, uh, and she sat down next to me today, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not really sensitive to, to stones like you are. I don't know how to do that. And I was like, oh, is that right? You know, and I just said, you know, took a vial, and I said, don't look at it. Put it in your hand. Gave it to her. And I said, what do you feel? And she held it, and she, you know, she's like, well, is this, like, a grounding stone? Is it for this? And I said, no, no, don't ask me what it is. You tell me what you feel. You know, and she, okay, well, yeah, it feels feels like this. So is it like, you know, she again wanted to like ask me something about it. And I said, no, no, it's not, there's no right or wrong. It's not like there's a right or wrong. It's not that, you know, you need to psychically know what stone you're holding, but what is it that you feel when you hold the stone? And she's like, okay. She said that actually relieves a lot of pressure from me. So she held the stone and then she felt, and then she said, okay, yeah. So it feels kind of very solid, very grounding, very, you know, she gave these qualities. You know, and it was uh, red jasper, which is like a very grounding kind of solid stone, and that's like really hit it, you know. And then, um, you know, I gave her um, the stone we just got called prehanite, which we used to grid our apartment with this morning, which is like a really powerful, it's called like the healer's healer. So I was like, oh, okay, I need some of those. So I just ordered some, and I put them around. And then she took the stone, and she's like, oh, you know, she held it, and she said, yeah, I feel like I want to hold it over my heart, and it really feels like supportive and stable and like somehow it's, it's like, you know, and then she looked at it and she's like, oh, okay, like that makes sense. Like we just made this big supportive thing out of a stone, right? It was connecting. And, um, and we did this with maybe like five or six of the vials that I would just, you know, switch them off in her hand. Not, you know, she can't look, but I know what she has. And she'd just say what she felt. And it was a really nice kind of process because it, it slowly brought her into really just being in touch with herself. And you could kind of see the, la the layer, uh, layers of it pulling away. You know, the first layer was her wanting the validation from me. Well, it, is it for this? Does it do this? You know. And then when I removed that layer, then it was the validation for herself. Like, well, am I feeling it right? Right? As if there's a right way to feel things. Am I feeling this the right way? You know. And then that dropped away. And then it really was able just to be, well, what do I feel? What is present in me? Just to open up and let it flow you know and and some of them she really spot on like 
what she said, it really matched the qualities and stuff. And then there's also one, I think it was, um, I don't know if it was like aquamarine, or there's one stone, it was kind of this like bluish clear. Um, she held it, and she said, oh, I feel like a heat, like fire inside of me. And she looked, and oh, that's weird, aquamarine. And from the qualities of the stone, it didn't really match up. But I said, you know, that doesn't matter, because it's not about the stone, it's about your relationship to it your relationship to this energy, to what it feels like, to what it says to you, to, to what that does to you. Um, and maybe that's because there's a theme that you need to, that's somehow connected to that. But maybe it's the stone. Maybe the stone was blasted out of a mine and there's still that residual energy of like an explosion. Like, you, you never really know why, or sometimes you figure out why. Um, but that kind of should come later. So, you know, when I teach meditation, um, often, you know, after a meditation, people will say to me, or I also give healings, you know. Afterwards, people say, oh, well, I, I had this happen to me. Is that normal? Right? I had heat or pain, or I, I saw an ancestor come through suddenly, or I saw faces or something. Is that, is that normal? Is that, you know, like wanting validation, like maybe I'm doing it wrong. Am I doing it wrong? Is that right? Is that wrong? You know. And... On the spiritual path especially, because it's kind of like an unknown, it's like an uncharted territory, we don't, it's like an invisible landscape that we're walking down, we don't necessarily, we kind of learn the landmarks as we go a little bit. Um, we always look towards the outside, especially at the beginning, for teachers, for guides, for Buddhas or Jesus or religious figures to kind of tell us the way. And in some ways I think that's of course great and valid. Um, but also, all of these teachers, if you really listen to their message, says to you, it's about you. You know, the Buddha didn't say to you, follow me. The Buddha said to you, you have the potential to wake, awaken. So go and follow the path. You know, Jesus didn't say to everybody, follow me. He said, God is accessible to everybody. Like, it's not, you don't have to be in this structure. You know, you can just, he's there right there. So if you go to all the figures, they really emphasize and try to empower the people that they're with and that are around them to say that you can really trust yourself, that, that you have the answers inside of you. And um, something that you see often with, with you know, religious and spiritual, it, it takes on a structure, a hierarchical form, you know, that you think the guy at the top has the answers and we down here don't and we don't know. But, you know, you see in lots of um, like churches and monasteries and things, you see that the guys at the top maybe don't necessarily have the answers. And a lot of kind of, um, you know, the shadow sides come out at some point and you realize, okay, all these figures that are actually supposed to be like these great enlightened whatever, actually, you know, they're just people. They're just people too. And we often give our power away. We often give away our power saying that somebody else knows, somebody else has the answer, someone else has the way. Um, and, you know, what people can do, like what this is right here, right? So, um, so somebody had me come and give a, a private meditation session at his house, and we spoke, and I kind of was like giving advice and saying like different things about what I felt and saw, and I kind of got to this point where I realized, you know, it's all up to you. Like, there's actually nothing that I'm going to be able to say that's going to matter. You have to walk this path. It's the, you know, 
the, the power to change is in your own hands. And that's kind of a message I feel that we don't hear enough in the spiritual path that somebody really says to you, like, you have the power. The power is yours. Um, I've been listening to this band, Nako and Medicine for the People, and one of the lyrics he says, he says, I am a master, I know nothing, but I am a servant and I know something. You know, and he's kind of saying that when you, when you put yourself in this position of knowing, of being the teacher, being up here, it's like your cup is full, you know, and there's a Buddhist saying, it's like when your cup is full, it can't take any more liquid into it, right? And, but when you're a servant, when you're giving, when you're offering, when you're sharing, when you're trying to help and support people, then you're kind of open and you're receptive and you're really connecting in, a, in an open way that allows an exchange. And it allows you to connect and be compassionate and then to really understand things and to help things and to move things. Which again, if you look at a lot of the great spiritual teachers, you'll see that they were servants, that they were really there to serve, to help, to give, more than to take or to be or to you know, be able to sing up here. So it's understandable because of the, the kind of hierarchical religious and spiritual structures we see. And also people that, you know, their living depends on... Um, doing spiritual work and things like this, right? So it's like, you know, I personally, like, I teach meditation and I give healings and I do all this stuff. So if nobody needed guidance and nobody needed healing and nobody needed any of this stuff, then I'd be unemployed, right? Like, it's like a personal thing, right? Then I'd be, oh, everyone's okay. I'd find something else to do, right? So, but because there's me, because there's something like me that exists that goes around helping, right, and giving and serving and sharing, it, it can create the impression in people that there's like levels, like as if like I'm a level above other people, right? Like I'm sitting here and talking to you. Like I know in Tibetan Buddhism, they often sit on a, on a little bit of like a throne, like a raised platform, right? Whoever's teaching always has to be like raised a little bit, which I guess helps to like see more people. It makes sense. But it also just a little bit is that feeling that the one talking is a little elevated, which I don't think is a bad thing because it's like respectful and it, has to do with like honor and like thanks and gratitude and you know. But also um, there's a really great book that started my spiritual path, The Celestine Prophecy, if anyone read it. It's really powerful. Um, and I read this, you know, when I was I think 18 and it really kind of started this journey somehow. And they were talking that when you start to get more in touch with um, your own spiritual energies and you start to really become more sensitive and become more open and um, you start to align your intentions or you start to uncover your intentions. They start to kind of resonate out around you. And when you're kind of in a like-minded group of people that you're all here to create good in the world, to do good things, you, you start to kind of resonate together. For instance, um, a decision would have to be made like, okay, we need to go out to dinner. Where do we want to go? And then maybe one of the people in the group will suddenly, it'll, an image will come in their mind and they'll say, oh, you know, there's this really great Mexican place down here. And everyone goes, oh, okay. So in that moment, that person was the teacher. That's the leader. That person in that moment had the clarity of the situation. So they said, oh, this place. And everyone goes, okay. And then they, you know, then they go to that place and then, you know, well, what should we get to drink? Should we drink alcohol tonight? Should it be this? And someone's like, oh, you know what? We shouldn't drink because there's, oh, okay. And then somebody else kind of has the clarity in that situation. And... Um, I think that the, the new spiritual dynamic that's unfolding a little bit, and that I think is also necessary to unfold, 
is the role of teacher is fluid. The role of teacher and student is fluid. That each one of us has our specific wisdom, our specific understanding that nobody else has. Um, that each one of us knows something that nobody else since the beginning of time has ever known because we have a very unique life. We have a unique set of experiences that nobody else has ever had. So there's something that we know that nobody else has ever known. We have something that we see that we could share that nobody else could. Every single one of us, right? And also each one of us, we are multidimensional beings, right? So we are here, we have the physical form, we eat food, we sleep, we have back pains, things like this, right? But we're also spiritual beings, right? We're, we have, we're animated. We have, um, this is what they called the spirit back in the day, right? So it's as if this, they say we're, the body's earth, and then there's the spirit that animates the body. So there is like a mental and emotional and energetic component to, to us, to being here. You know, we all have insights. We all have great ideas. We all have inspiration. We all have wisdom. We all have access, like the Buddha was saying, right? Like, we, we are all... Um, able to attain that same thing that he attained. When I was in the monastery, I was doing prostrations to the Buddha. I did 100,000 prostrations, which is like a bow where you lay your body fully on the floor. It took me three months doing like 1,200 a day, right? Laying down, standing up, laying down, standing up for three months. To a, and I did it to a Buddha statue. And part of it was really this gratitude and this thanks to the Buddha for opening up the path and for kind of creating... Um, this way of practice that's just so understandable and so easy. But another part of it was really seeing that that's my potential. That every time I bowed, I felt like I'm trying to put myself in this direction. I'm saying, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. It's like I'm shoveling snow. I'm trying to clear the path in that direction because I want to head towards my own potential. And this is also when I left the monastery, one of the big things I saw as I I realized that I had the, the tools that I needed to now engage on a path by myself. And that's not saying that I, because I was ready to leave the monastery, now I'm a master. Now I'm an enlightened being. Now I have all the answers. But I said, I have my own tools to use, and the world is going to be my teacher. That life is a teacher. Yeah? So who is that, like about the yoga class? Right, that there's a yoga teacher and it was really noisy during her teacher training. So she had this understanding about like being at peace when there's noise. So now the yoga teacher plays like weird siren noises during the yoga class to kind of teach other students to like feel that. You know, and my response to that is I, I get it and it's a little bit silly because if you just take any random day of your life, you're gonna have at least five hundred things that piss you off a little bit that you could use as your practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's nice to create a space like this that you can just have a little bit of like, okay, just leave all that stuff at the door. You know, but the reality, and again, like when I lived in the monastery, there was lots of weird disturbances. and You, you don't, um, you start to learn. My teacher told me that once he went to, um, he went to India and he went to a Dalai Lama. Um, and Dalai Lama was giving a teaching. So he went to the front. And uh, he was looking for a place to sit, and he had like a group of monks with him. And there was this one little area that was almost like, it seemed like it was kind of sectioned off, 
and everyone, like all the Indians, all the, everyone, all the Tibetans, they were like, kind of like squished together. It was like this huge tent, and everyone's kind of bustling and kind of squished together to see the Dalai Lama. And there's this area, and there are these like mats. And on each mat was just like one person, and they had like all the space, and it was like these like Westerners, right? It's like one area. And, uh, and my teacher, he's like Vietnamese, but he lived in Germany for many years. So he went, and he saw that, and he's like, what is this crap? So he like just like moved the barrier, and like him and all the other monks, they went, and they just sat. And the people, um, they looked, and they were like, oh, and they were kind of like really like upset. And then they said, in German, uh, they said, uh, yeah, what, these people don't know anything, huh? You know, not knowing that my teacher lives in Germany. And he looked down at the guy and said, yeah, we have no idea. You know, and he just sat down next to him. And, you know, Westerners especially, like, we have this idea when we start engaging in spiritual practice uh, about peace, what peace feels like, what it looks like. But it usually becomes an extension of our ego and our control. And what I mean by that is we try to control everything around us that then we can feel comfortable, you know. I need to get these yoga pants because they're nice. I have to get this color yoga mat. I have to go to this really nice class with this teacher in this place. You know, with this kind of music, I have to have had my, my shake in the morning. I have to, you know, feel really good. You know, all these specific things have to be just so. And then I get my shanti piece. You know, if everything is just set up just so, then I can relax. You know, and that's control freak mentality. That's, and that's what a lot of us do, is that we've taken the same control freak that we have back home that tries to get everything in order, tries to get everything to be the way that we need it to be, that we feel good, that, you know. And we bring that same mechanism into our spiritual practice. And when we do that, we're going to come up against walls because maybe you'll create everything, and, ah, and then you sit for a couple minutes, and then there's a siren outside, right? Or somebody next to you starts snoring, or they fart or something, or whatever, you know. Or it's cold or hot or who knows. You know? And then sure, you can go up and then you can adjust the thing because it's too cold and you can sit. But I mean, I tell you, so I've, I've done long-term retreats. And when you're kind of just sitting by yourself all day, you can play that game only up to a certain point. That you could sit and something bothers you, so you go and you adjust it and you sit back down and something else bothers you, you change that. Say, actually, I feel like I just want to like rearrange my whole bedroom and you put things around, okay, you sit. And I suggest, oh, no, I'm hungry. No, I'm tired. It's like the book if you give a mouse a cookie, you know. You give a mouse a cookie, he wants a glass of milk. You give him a glass of milk, he, I don't know what, needs the bathroom, goes to the bathroom, he needs to wash his hands, has to go find him soap, then he needs a towel, then he wants to go sit in the sun because he's wet, then he gets tired and he falls asleep, then he wakes up and he's hungry, then he wants another cookie. And, you know, how you could follow your, those needs. You could follow that feeling of, oh, I just need that one next thing and then everything will be okay. You could follow that thing forever. There's not like an end point to that. You can just chase that again and again and again and again and again until you die. And a lot of people do. If you look at the animal kingdom, that's what animals do. They just, what is the next thing that I want to feel good? And that's a life. That's an existence. Um, so, you know, when I was practicing, I know that I, I read also this book, Siddhartha, by Herman Hesse. This is like a really awesome book. Um, and there's one point, so Siddhartha, he's, he was this, this man, he became a monk. And he, um, he kind of, I forget who he was talking to, you know, he wanted like a, a job at one point. He decided he wanted to kind of like find a new way to live the spiritual life and do something else. And they're like, well, what are your skills? You know, and he's like, well, I can, 
I can wait and I can fast. You know, and he starts listing some of these skills and the person's like, huh? you know, but somehow it actually worked and he found this like really he found stuff to do, but it was this interesting thing because you know, as as a monk especially, um, we had a lot of rules. We had precepts like, you know, no killing, no lying, no stealing, which were like easy-ish to do, you know, but that would also mean like you can't kill mosquitoes or spiders in your room or ants or things like this, so not killing anything. Not lying, you're like, yeah, it's okay, but if you really watch yourself every day, that also means like white lies, that also means like really telling the truth. Like not lying, being impeccable with your speech is much harder than we think. Not stealing, same thing, we think, yeah, we don't steal, but then it was also, well, not taking what's not given. And when you're living in a community and you kind of depend on the community for food and stuff, you can't just go to the kitchen and just grab something and stick it in your mouth. If you're hungry, you have to kind of wait for the meal till it's served. You know, the possessions you have as a monk, they have to kind of be given to you. You can't go and go get whatever you want, go shopping. Because another rule is that you can't have any money of yours. Yeah. And then there's also no alcohol and drugs and things like this, which depending on the person could be easier or harder. Then there's also no, no sexual contact, no things like this. This is like very difficult, right? Um, so there's all these rules, and as you get into higher ordination, like when you become a fully ordained monk, then there's even like a hundred and something behavior rules to kind of watch over. And on one hand, it starts to feel like the walls are kind of closing in on you. Like you, you have less and less room to move. It's part of why I disrobed. I got to this point where I just had to accept, like, okay, I'm, I don't think this is my way forward anymore. But the more that you practice within a framework like that, the more you start to see, um, you know, I'll be in my room and I'll be hungry, but I know the meal's over. And I have to just make do with that feeling of hunger. There's meditation at 5 in the morning. I didn't get a good night's sleep. That, you know, my alarm goes off at 5 to go downstairs. And I did, you know, very often just stay in bed because I couldn't make it. But, you know, but you go down and you're exhausted and you kind of have to face that. You have to sit at the table with the same people every single day for years, even if you don't like them. Yeah, you don't have a choice over what food's coming out of the kitchen. You just have to eat whatever comes. You know, you're not, all the choices that you have in life start to get taken away. You live in a community. You don't really have the same kind of personal space. You can't just decide to go to, like, you, you have a job to do, you have things to do. Because it's like you live and you work and it's all in the same space. So there's really no escape. There's nowhere to go. So really quickly you start to come up against your own boundaries and your own walls and you know how you need things to be and when I first went to the monastery you know at roommates you know at one point I was living with five of us in one room right and you start getting to that point where it starts creating kind of a, a friction inside it, that there's you really just want space you want this you want that and and it's not available to you and what you eventually over time if you stick with it long enough you know, wisdom begins to develop. And you start to realize, well, you know, maybe it's not, it's, I'm not feeling this way because, you know, I don't have my personal space. Maybe I'm feeling this way because I feel like I need personal space. You know, maybe it's not the people talking that's stopping me from meditating. Maybe it's that I'm focused on the people talking instead of just focusing on my breathing that slowly over time when you live in a kind of structure and retreats have like a structure for a reason, you can't, the mind can't do whatever it wants. Like I just did the horse retreat and horses are like four-year-old children. They'll just do whatever they want unless you set really kind of strict parameters around them. 
they will take every advantage they can. You know, and you have to really like, no, 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 stay here, do that. Like you have to really, until they feel that they can trust you, right? And eventually after time they trust you and they realize they can let go of that reactive side of their mind that they used in the wild as prey animals to stay alive. They realize that they can really trust you and rely on you and you'll take care of them. And that's when a horse becomes trained, is when they shift from thinking that they need their reactive mind to survive to realizing that, that you will help them survive and they can, they can depend on you. you know? And over the course of time and practice, ideally the path forward is also to, to not create all these more and more and more conditions that you need to be just so to feel good, but you start to learn how to let go of things. You start to learn how to be okay with less. You start to be okay with living a simpler life. And also, on top of that, you do start to get things that feel good, right? Like we, we only drink spring water. So I drive to the spring and I get this like really nice spring water. It's like, you know, we buy organic food as much as possible. So you do, of course, live a life as much as possible that has like a good quality, a good, you know, um, that you feel good. I feel good every time I drink that water. I feel good. But it's like, but if I don't drink spring water, it's not like I feel bad. If I go and get a hamburger at a restaurant, it's not like I feel bad. You know, I just accept, yeah, that's how it is right now. It's okay. And it's really an important thing to learn how to kind of start letting go of how things should be, how thinking things need to be a certain way for us to feel a certain way. That we do our best in life, but also life is going to always be incomplete. We are uh, a continually... Life is like uh, you're put in a boat and someone puts a hole in the boat and shoves you off the dock and you sail out into the middle of the ocean and then the boat sinks. That's life. Yeah, as depressing as that might sound, that's it. Yeah, that life is a, a continual battle to stay afloat. Even just the fact you have to breathe and eat, like the body, if you stop taking care of the body, the body will die in a couple if you stop breathing, it'll die very quick. If you stop eating, stop drinking, it'll die soonish. Stop sleeping, stop doing things. So the bo- it's a constant process of taking care of the body even. But even the body, right, it gets older and then it dies. So even the body, you could take care of it as much as you can, but eventually it, it also has to follow its own course. Um, it follows its own nature, right? It'll grow old and then it'll also die. Um, when you do gardening, same thing. You put, you know, flowers and you put the seeds and you put everything and they grow and they have their season and then they kind of go. And um, I just saw something with the comedian. They were saying like, you know, everyone loves the foliage, but that's like leaf, like death camps. You know, like what if you walked around in the autumn and the leaves could talk? It would just be like, ah, we're screwed, you know. And people are like, oh, that's so beautiful. And they're taking pictures with their iPhones. And then you could hear these leaves like, oh, why are you taking pictures of me, you heartless asshole? You know, and they're like, just... Deadly, you know, the leaves are dying. No, I need chlorophyll, right? They're saying. So, you know, so things follow their nature, and we do our best. And I think this is like the important balance. This is called like the middle way a little bit, right? Is that on one hand, like you do, you need certain things. There are some very basic needs in life. And then there's some things that are more like preferences, right? Preferences you can kind of let go of a little bit. And even needs, you do your best to get them filled. And sometimes they'll be there, sometimes not. Um, and even like the past few days for myself, I've been in like a weird funk. Like I don't really know exactly what's up. I just have been feeling like weird. And I woke up last night at like midnight and I was kind of sitting in bed and I was just 
just kind of feeling it and just like lit a candle and meditate a little bit and read. And then I kind of came to this conclusion, you know, sometimes you're just in a funk. It's not necessarily like there's something wrong. It's not even like there's anything you can do. Because I tried to, you know, I went to the gym and I really worked out. And I did, and I did a bunch of stuff. I was like, I, you know, tried to do a lot to kind of shift the mood. And it didn't really shift. And I got to a point, I was like, you know, sometimes maybe you just have to accept that, that this is right now how it is. And it's not going to be like this forever. And it's kind of like you just have to forbear it and be patient. And it's uncomfortable. But it's like labor. Right? It's like a, a mother giving birth. Like That's going to be really uncomfortable until it's finished, and then it'll be done. And I feel for myself, every time I'm in one of these processes, no matter how long it seems to be, and I feel like my whole childhood was actually like one of these processes, maybe like from the time I was born to the time I was like 18 or something, it felt like one of those processes, right? That there are these processes that are really tight, they're uncomfortable. You know, you're stuck in this thing that you don't want to be in, but you, can't, you don't know what to do with it. And you do what you can to shift it and get out of it and to build stuff. And sometimes you can kind of help it a little bit. Sometimes that process has to run its course. Maybe it's connected to karma from other lives or whatever. Like we don't really know what, it, what it's connected to. We don't know why it's like this. You know, energetically, we can't really fully grasp it. But all we know is that, you know, I've tried everything and nothing's helped. And then sometimes there's just that mode of surrender that says, okay, like, and then this is how it is, and I have to kind of just take that as it is and go through it, you know, and allow that process to take its time, but then also to see what I can do with, with the other parts of myself or, or how to make peace with that, so to say. And I think life, it's a really, um, you know, fine balance between where do we have control, what can we do, and what do we have to make peace with, knowing where you can do work, what you can build and, and improve, and what you really have to let go of and surrender to. And that's like a really fine balance. You know, and sometimes these things will shift by themselves. Sometimes through doing a lot of work, then something will start to shift. Um, sometimes you'll be sitting trying to meditate, and your leg will hurt, and you move it, and then your arm itches, and you scratch your arm, and then you feel like you need to cough, or you need some water, and then you start to feel tired. Then your mind's well sits, and your leg hurts again. And it's just like, it's like there's ants crawling all over your body. It's like there's just always something wrong. You just can't, you know. And there comes a time where you just have to say, you know what? 100% peaceful comfort all the time is not realistic. As much as that's what I want for myself, as much as that's what I wish for everybody, the Buddha said, we're kind of like cows without their skin on with flies crawling all over them. Yeah, he said, our senses are always open. Right? Your body feels everything. You hear, you see, you feel. Your minds, your heart, you feel things. Even if they're painful, whatever there is, whatever stimulation, you're driving down the road, any sign somebody pays for that they want to stick up, is gonna, you're going to see it, you're going to feel it. Anything somebody says to you, you're going to feel it, you're going to hear it. That we receive all of this information, all of this stimulus, all of the senses, and we're helpless to that. And when you sit here in meditation, you'll feel that too. All this stuff, your thoughts, your feelings, your body pains, it all kind of bombards you. And you can try, and I, you know, we do our best. We come into this nice room. We have cushions, right? So we're not hurting ourselves. We're not sitting on, like, concrete blocks on the ground. Right? We're doing our best to be comfortable, to be nice. and like. But then also realizing there's nothing more we can really do except just let go and let things be. And really remembering that we're practicing a path to peace. 
So that's how you become your own master. You know, that you know the direction you're heading is towards peace. It's towards freedom from suffering. If we're creating more suffering for ourselves, then that's not the right path. We're trying to find the path to peace. Yeah? And it's all just kind of this, this play about how does that work. Sometimes we have to try a little, push a little more to make things fit. Sometimes we have to let go a little more to make things fit. Yeah? So, um, you know, one of my teachers, Achim Brahm, he said, it's like if a man's walking down a path, but he's blind and you're kind of trying to guide him, sometimes you have to tell him, go more to the right, and then he goes to the right, and you say, now go to the left. You know, it's not like there's one instruction you can give to somebody. You have to kind of say, now a little this way, a little that way, now go a little faster, now stop, wait, 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 there's a snake in the pathway, just wait. Okay, now you can go, right? That the instructions are always changing. It has to be workable, right? So you can't hold on to dogmas, right? It's a living, moving, flowing thing that you have to kind of be aware of. And that's how you become your own master, is because in all the new situations you have to say, what is the strategy, what is the approach, what is the skillful means of dealing with this next thing? You know, is it to be more kind and more soft? Is it to be more fiery, more dominant, more assertive? Right? Is it to let go? Is it to stand up? What do I need to do to react? Yeah? And that's really how it works, is that we start to learn tools, how to respond to, to different situations, that we can be free of all these situations. We know how to respond to each thing, like Jackie Chan, I say, like in a big fight scene, right? He knows how to respond to all the different punches and the kicks and, you know, hundred things flying at him. But in the end, he kind of, he's fine because he knows how to respond to everything that comes, right? And I think this is kind of what it means to be your own master because life will always throw stuff at you. For the, until you die, life will throw stuff at you and then the last thing it throws at you is death and it'll just squash you and that's it, right? So life will always be throwing stuff at you until it really knocks you with the big one. Right? So all we can do is how do we want to respond? How can I respond to this next thing in the way that really leaves me in, in the place of the most freedom? The most freedom, the most peace, the most kind of also feeling good about myself and, and feeling good, maybe even inspired or something because you have to keep going. Right? Yeah, if we start to get depressed, if we start to beat ourselves up, if we start to get resentful or bitter or negative, right? then we just make that more heavy. We just start to get heavier and heavier and heavier. But life's going to keep going. Things are going to keep coming. So it's like you're getting heavier, heavier, heavier. Then even the simplest things you're not going to be able to deal with. Right? So we really have to just try to learn in each situation how to kind of move forward and to really trust ourselves. Nobody can tell you. I can't tell you how to find peace. Only you can feel in yourself, is this working or not? Is this bringing me towards peace or is this bringing me away from peace? Is this bringing me to pain? Because you are all very different. Yeah. So that's kind of like combining all those things together, right? Okay. Sorry for the long-winded talk. <laughs> so we have um, about 20 minutes left. So why don't we just do a, another meditation? Is that okay?